The Museum of You by Lansford Guy. The Museum of You is empty, except for you. There is no matronly docent to guide you through its winding halls, no custodian to sweep the dust shed from decades of slow decay, no guests milling about or studying the exhibit placards packed with tiny text printed in your second favorite font, Palatino Linotype. The Museum of You is not vacant. Vacant denotes that there had at one time been someone else there, but there have been no visitors before, and there will be none in the future. Only you. You know this because the Museum of You has a visitor's log, and the only name in the book is your own. It is a thick book, bound in shiny black pleather with brass book corners. Your name is written on each of the thin blue lines, twenty to a page, and you judge that there's about an inch of these pages filled out, maybe two-thirds of the book. You do not know what will happen when you reach the final page. Perhaps a fresh book will replace this one when it is filled up. Perhaps this has happened before. But there is no one in the Museum of You to change the book out. Only you, and you have no memory of having been here before. You study each of your autographs carefully for some sign of forgery. There is some slight variation to each, and you are satisfied that nobody filled the book with photocopies of your signature. There is no one who could have. In the Museum of You, there is only you. Most of the signatures lack any significant distinction. There are anomalies. On what you believe to be about page 32, halfway down, your name appears to have been scrawled with some haste. The middle of your first name is a blurred line, bulging up in the middle like a tombstone, vaguely reminiscent of an EKG with ST segment elevation. In another place, the ink has bled together, moistened by a drop of rain or a tear. There are a few places where a line was left blank. Toward the back of the book, half a page has been neatly torn out for some purpose you cannot fathom. Among the pages crowded with your signatures, there is at least one blank page that was entirely skipped, inadvertently, you assume. There is a column for the date, but it has never been filled out. You do not know what day it is as you sign the visitor's book, so you can sign only your name. There is a round, metal, waste paper basket to the right of the small table on which the visitor's book rests. You consider depositing the invitation to the Museum of You in the basket, but decide to hold on to it a little while longer. It is the only object you have on you. Your pockets are empty. You cannot remember the last time you did not have at least a wallet, keys, and a phone on you before leaving the house. You are not sure that you left the house. It is not cold in the Museum of You, but you shiver as you step toward the double doors that lead out of the cramped entry room into the museum's main hall. You are not sure if the entry room is called a vestibule, a foyer, or if there is even a difference. You shield your eyes as you enter the bright hallway, but it does not help. Light gleams off the freshly waxed tile floor and pierces through the mask you have made with your fingers. You are reminded of a time you stumbled out of a movie theater exit that opened into the mall parking lot. The light shining off the concrete blinded you, and you tripped off the sidewalk and into the path of a speeding car. It swerved and avoided crushing you, but you barely noticed, distracted by the stream of Mr. Pibb and Kentucky Deluxe exploding from your mouth along with a slurry of tortilla chips and processed cheese. You do not remember what movie you were watching just before you almost died. The movie stub is in an exhibit down a narrow hallway to your left. It is presented in a large, clear box next to an oversized plastic cup, a container of movie theater nachos, 
and a friendship bracelet. You do not recognize the name of the movie, but you recall now a long-forgotten fight with a friend who had been eager to take you to see it. You did not see each other much outside of school after that day. You have not talked or even thought about each other in years. The museum is not organized chronologically. If there is a pattern or theme to how it has been arranged, it is not immediately clear. The next exhibit you notice is a snowball preserved in acetate. You remember the day it snowed. They closed the schools. Your friends were thrilled, or so you imagine, by the unexpected fortune of an extended weekend. You were already home, having told your parents you did not feel well. You did not want to go to school, and you got your wish. But you were not allowed to go out and play in the snow as a result of the lie that you had told, and were forced to maintain. You would not see snow again for another decade. You stop to read a placard in the middle of a bathroom mirror. It is the bathroom from your first apartment, but it could be any bathroom. It states that leaving the faucet running while brushing your teeth uses an average of 5 gallons of water. A 5 minute shower consumes around 20 gallons. Each toilet flush another 2 gallons. The placard estimates that over the course of your lifetime you've used enough water in the bathroom alone to fill an Olympic swimming pool. There is a room in the Museum of You much larger than the main hallway. It is larger than any auditorium you have ever been in. You cannot estimate the size of it, but it is probably smaller than a football stadium. Walls eight feet high form a maze that fills the space. The walls are covered by photographs, some that would fit in a wallet, and others as large as a movie theater poster. You recognize maybe one out of every thousand. They are the faces of every person you have ever met. They do not appear to have been organized in any obvious manner. They are not alphabetized or ordered chronologically. But the size of the photographs does appear to correlate to the degree with which you were familiar with each of the subjects. You stop to admire several of the larger portraits, but begin to worry that you will find yourself lost if you linger too long. There is a garden in the Museum of You. It is the garden that your mother started after your father ceded control of the yard to her whims. In the center of the garden is a fake well that you used to toss coins in and make wishes. Next to the fountain, there is a placard that has been staked into the ground listing the wishes that you made. The list does not include a wish for your parents to reconcile. A stone path leads you out of the garden and into a room filled with trees. It is the same tree, first a sapling your father planted in the backyard after buying the house, several years before you were born. You recognize it from a photograph of your parents and a little boy, your older brother, who you never met. As you walk past the sapling, you watch as the tree matures. From one of the trees, a tire swing is hanging. The swing is later replaced by a Polynesian hammock. One end is fastened to a metal ring drilled into the tree, and the other is attached to a metal pole. Beyond that, there is another tree with a rope hanging from it, and then a stump. The museum of you is quiet. Your footsteps reverberate on the tile as you run down a hallway lined with crude crayon drawings of your family and families you imagined, sketches in pencil and charcoal portraits, watercolor daydreams and abstract swirls of black and red oil oozing with unrealized potential. There is one room in the Museum of You that is very loud. There is a record player in the center of the room, several radios, a CD player, and a device the size of a pack of cards containing multitudes of music. 
Pop chart toppers, power ballads, country western, hip-hop, and even an album of sea chanties. There is only a single speaker, but it plays all of the music. Every song plays at once. There is a cacophony, but it is not deafening. You cannot go deaf in the Museum of Youth. You listen as decades of memories and emotions expressed vicariously collide and swirl together into a single song of you. Thousands of squealing electric guitars and pounding drums overwhelm the twang of banjos, wheezing accordions, and other more exotic instruments, but they are all there. Inside that musical maelstrom is a first kiss, a first time, a first heartbreak. Songs that you jogged to before the sun rose. Songs you howled at the moon, stumbling back from bars whose names are lost, arm in arm with friends whose faces you've long forgotten. Songs that you danced to when you thought no one was looking. But you suspect someone has always been watching. There is deliberation behind the Museum of You. Every museum has a curator. These things do not happen by accident. There is a sign in the Museum of You that says, New Exhibit Coming Soon. You do not know if there is a single room beyond the door or an entire wing of the museum. The sign gives you some comfort, but you try not to read too much into it. You do not try to open this door. There are no people in the Museum of You other than you, but there are several cats. These are not cats that were kept as pets at various stages in your life. They are feral cats. They're the cats that you habitually left an offering of dry kibble for wherever you lived, often to the consternation of your neighbors. There are also a few possums and a raccoon that prowl the Museum of You. You never name the strays, but you recognize many of them as they stalk you through the museum. You found comfort in their company. You were not responsible for their well-being, but provided for them anyway. It is a small thing but something you can hold on to when unable to meet your own reflection in the mirror. There is a round room in the Museum of You, its single white wall speckled with blood. An unassuming placard informs you only that the blood is not your own. In most areas, there is nothing more than a few stray droplets, but on other parts of the wall, there are blood splatters you study like Warshock blots, sprawling maps of the misery you may have caused. There is an actual map in the Museum of You. It is not a map of the museum itself. It is an atlas of every path you have taken in your life. You trace a line that leads from the place of your birth, to your childhood home, to the city where you moved for college, and then back home. There are many loops on the map, routines marked with intricate spirals. There is also a library in the Museum of You. It is, as expected, filled with every book you've ever read. Books whose titles you only glanced at fill the endless shelves, the pages inside blank. The Dewey Decimal System has no place in the Museum of You. The books are arranged by completion. Those you have read several times occupy a single shelf, followed by those you completed and remember fondly but never revisited, and many more that spark only a flash of sentiment as you trace a finger across their spines and then move on. There are no answers in this library to the many questions that you now have. Your diary is not in the museum library. You burned it long ago. There is a casket in the next room. The placard for this exhibit contains only a poem by Emily Dickinson. You are afraid to open the lid and see who, if anybody, is lying inside. There are no people in the museum of you. Only you. You have only attended a few funerals in your life. 
a work colleague's mother, a friend from college. Your father was cremated, his ashes disposed of with little ceremony. The casket, plain but not inexpensive, does not match any memories that you have, but there are many things you do not remember. There is a room in the Museum of You that resembles the sprawling, upscale liquor store you frequented for many years. The beer selection is diverse, but dominated by palettes of Keystone Light and Pabst Blue Ribbon, the cheap beer you continue to consume long after your frugal college years. A few rare bottles of select wine are scattered among racks lined with boxes of inexpensive but inoffensive Merlot and Pinot Noir. The liquor selection is almost uniformly comprised of bottles of bourbon, wrapped in a comforting green and black label. You find your way to a mountain of mattresses. It is every bed you have ever laid your head on. Most of them you have only ever used once. Some you never slept on at all. Others you clung to for days, like a raft carrying you across a storm-wracked sea. The twin mattress from your childhood bedroom forms the first step in a staircase rising to a height that makes you dizzy. Sheets, some stained and others clinically crisp, pour down the sides of the display, forming a curtain of rainbows. You fall without grace from the summit. You land in a cloud of pillows. You are disappointed. It is challenging to work your way out of the room, like wading through a snowdrift. You escape into another hallway. It is filled with phones. You pause before each of the more modern models long enough to study the stream of text messages cycling across their glowing screens. You laugh at some, cringe at others, and are troubled by many. Some of the things that you have forgotten are starting to surface. There are pieces of a car in the Museum of You. The front axle and the drive shaft are suspended from the ceiling by thin cables, casting a shadow of a warped cross in the center of the room. Shards of metal and broken glass litter the floor, but their arrangement is not accidental. They have been meticulously placed. Adjacent to each piece bearing some significance is a little yellow marker made of plastic, shaped like a tent with a number written in black. There is a door in the Museum of You that you cannot open. There are bars on this door you can reach through, but there is nobody on the other side to grasp. There is nobody in the Museum of You except for you. Through the bars, you see the exit sign.